So I am really excited about the next three weeks. Uh, actually, as you'll find out at the end of this uh, message, how close this hits to home for me. But um, I'm really excited about this because I, I kind of grew up with an affinity for ghost stories. Just quickly by a show of hands, and even if you're online, participate with us. Um, how many of you are, are those people who, you know, you watch the shows, you, you watch the movies, you like the ghost stories? Just by a show of hands. Yep, that's, that's a good amount of you. It's okay to admit that. You can own that. I, I, I'm one of those people. And then the rest of you, by a show of hands, you're the people who just think you guys are absolutely nuts. There is nothing good about being scared. That stuff's trash. Don't watch that stuff. Let me see those hands. The rest of you, you just don't like to participate. Um, <laughs> wherever you find yourself on that spectrum of liking ghost stories or not, they, they are kind of interesting, aren't they? There's like, there's like one element that's a little bit exciting, maybe with a, a few elements that, that are somewhat terrifying. I, I tried to, as I, we were preparing this, I tried to think, why do I have such an affinity for these kinds of things? And, and I think it started when I was a child. My dad and his brothers would take all of the sons, all of the boys out camping. They called it a father-son camp trip. Uh, and we would... Uh, every, every camping trip, every year, the goal of the uncles was to see who could tell the best ghost story to scare the kids. And I looked forward to it every year. Like, I'm, I'm going to tough it out. You're not going to scare me. Uh, it continued to escalate year after year until I was a little older, and my uncle and I decided to make the ghost story a reality, and we ended up scaring some of my younger nephews until they ran out of the camper crying, and that kind of blew the whole thing up. But from that point on, from that moment on, I had this affinity for ghost stories. I, I enjoyed this, this element of, of, of excitement and, and, and those elements of, of terrifying. And it, it might have to do, if you grew up in a church like I did, with kind of growing up in church, because there's elements of going to church that, that are, are somewhat exciting. And if we're really honest, there's elements that are somewhat terrifying, aren't there? There's elements about coming to church where you just kind of think, I'm just not sure, right? I, I, I don't know. Like, like we go to church, and I was a, a, good, a good churchgoer. I went to church my whole life, and they would say things that I didn't really understand. Every once in a while, they would mention the Holy Ghost. And, and I'd have questions like, well, who is that? I don't, really, I don't really understand who the Holy Ghost is. And you might be like me, you know, sitting in, in your row, and I used to color or, or write notes, and they'd say the Holy Ghost, and I'd kind of perk up like, oh, that sounds interesting and equally terrifying because it's a little mysterious. I mean, if we were really to ask the question, who's the Holy Ghost? Some of us may not know, right? At least from my assumption, I kind of had an idea who God was. For me, God was the judging one, right? God, God was the judging one. And you may have felt that way. Maybe you've, you've not been in church for years, and this was the very reason you avoided going to church, because you, your thought was, I don't want to go to church. God's, he, he judges me. God's, God's the judging one. And then we heard of Jesus, and, and Jesus was always the loving one, right? He was the one who gave hugs. He was the one who, who, who kind of cheered people on, and he healed people. He was the loving one. But then it came to the Holy Ghost, and the, the Holy Ghost is, is what? Right? We, we didn't know. Who, who's the Holy Ghost? It, 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 there's, there's all these questions. It, is the Holy Ghost the emotions one? Is, is the Holy Ghost, you know, the one that, that makes you cry when you hear a journey song come on the radio? Is, is that what the Holy Ghost is? Is, is? is the Holy Ghost the voodoo one? You know, the one that I can use to get the people I don't, I don't like? We're not really sure, but what we are sure of is this, is that the Holy Ghost is at least the mysterious one. And I, I would be completely foolish to, and arrogant to feel like I have all the answers about the Holy Ghost. If, if you go to a church and they tell you they have all the answers, the truth is they're lying. You should find another church because we don't really know. There is this, this mysterious element about who the Holy Ghost is and what the Holy Ghost really wants for us. No one's quite sure. But as we look at Scripture, as we look at the words of Jesus, we do find that he has an awful lot to say about the Holy Ghost. 
And when it comes up in church, we talk, you hear people say, well, you know, the Holy Ghost lives in you. And, and it's odd that when I was a kid and they would say that, parents would kind of be reassured and comforted, like, oh, that's good. And I'm sitting here thinking, I've seen the poltergeist. Nothing living in you is good, right? Tapeworms, insecurity, all that kind of stuff. Like anything that lives in you is bad. That's not a good thing. But, but there's all this confusion wrapped around this idea of the Holy Ghost. Who is the Holy Ghost and what is he doing? And really, what does he want for us? Over the next three weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to, to undiscover or maybe redefine what we think of the Holy Ghost. That it isn't something to be terrified. It isn't even something that we should just leave in the corner because it's mysterious and we're not really sure. That there is so much more. And in fact, there is so much better for us in store through the Holy Spirit. To get us there today, we're going to have to use our imagination. So all the, the, the younger people in here, all the little kids, you're going to love this because we get to use our imagination for the first part of this. All you adults, I'm going to ask you to, to branch out of your like stiff, stoic beings for a minute and use your imagination. And here's what I want to do. I want us to pretend like we're one of the disciples. You know, one of the 12. If you're unfamiliar with who a disciple is, the disciples were a group of men who were basically asked by Jesus to come and be one of his followers, right? They, they grew up in this, in this society, in this, this culture, where, where it was just the best thing in the world to become a, a student or a follower of a rabbi. So I want you to pick one of the 12 disciples. We actually have a picture for you. Um, this isn't a completely inaccurate picture, but it is a picture. Uh, don't pick this guy here because this one in the middle is Jesus, so you can't be him. But, you know, you could pick this one here. He's like the bearded wonder or this guy. He's got a great beard. Or you could pick the one with, you know, the curly hair or the bald one if, if you like that. But here, here's what I want you to do. P pick one of the disciples and imagine for a moment that you're him. Imagine for a moment that, that, that you're one of those disciples and, and you kind of lived life waiting for something awesome to happen. You live your life and you're taught to, to go to, to, to school, to memorize the, their, the Jewish Bible. And, and depending on how well you memorized, depending on how well you, you did, um, you may have been chosen to be one of the, the followers, a disciple of a rabbi. But for you, you weren't smart enough. For you, you couldn't memorize well enough. For you, you just kind of dropped out. Right? right? There, 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 was, there was nothing you could do that would please a rabbi. No rabbi wanted you. So you just kind of went about your day. You went about your life. You became a fisherman or, or maybe a tax collector. And one day you're out fishing. One day you're out collecting taxes at your tax booth. And, and a guy comes along. A, a guy comes along and you've heard of him before. His name's Jesus. And, and, and Jesus, he kind of looks in your direction and he says two words to you that you've been dying to hear your whole life. He says, follow me. He says, follow me. And, and as he says, follow me, you know, you're a, 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 you know, a school dropout. You kind of look over your shoulder like, oh, who's he talking to? That's awesome. And he says, no, 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 you. You, I want you to come follow me. And, and for years, that light that was inside you, it felt kind of dim because you weren't chosen to be a follower. You weren't chosen to be a student. The light begins to grow. Because you heard of this guy, Jesus. You heard Jesus was there, and he, he had done some incredible things. And perhaps this was the Messiah that you've been praying for and waiting for, for for hundreds and thousands of years. And he comes along, and he says, follow me. And you're like, man, this is, this is amazing. You get to walk with Jesus for three and a half years, talk with Jesus, watch Jesus do just absolutely mind-boggling things. And your light just shines and it shines. And every time he does something, every time he, he, he like heals somebody, every time he does something miraculous, the light just grows and it grows. And you begin to think, maybe this is it. Maybe this is actually the Messiah. But then your mind kind of goes back to thinking, yeah, but, but we thought this before, right? Our ancestors thought this. And for 400 years, 
God was really, really, really quiet. And your life begins to dwindle. And then Jesus comes back, and you were with him that moment on, on the hillside where all those people were there listening to teach for hours and hours. And he fed with very, a very like little bit of food, 15,000 or 20,000 people. And what happened? Your light begins to grow and grow. And it's like, this is it. This is the Messiah. And then something else happens, right? Then, then after that, this whole encounter on the hillside, you're just, you're like beaming, right? Your light has never been as bright as it was in this moment because this could be it. This is the Messiah. No one's ever done anything like this. And Jesus says, hey, guys, go on a boat and, and head over there. I'm going to go up to the mountain and I'm going to pray. And, and, and you do. And you're on the boat and a storm comes and it looks like you're, you're going like to go under, like you're going to shipwreck. And it gets so dark outside, but it also feels really dark inside. And then out on the water, somebody sees something coming, and one of your friends even shout, look, it's a ghost. And you're like, ah! And your light dwindles even further. But Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, things get calm. And what's the first thing Jesus says to you when he shows up? Don't be afraid. And as soon as he says those words, what happens? Your light begins to grow. And you begin to think, Jesus, I'm not afraid. Because you're with me. You're back. Then there was another time. He's on the boat, on a different boat. This time, Jesus is with you, so everything feels good. And then Jesus says, hey, guys, I'm going to go take a nap. And he goes downstairs, and he takes a nap. And the storm comes raging in, and the sky grows dark. And as soon as it grows dark outside, what happens inside? It begins to get dark again. And you run down, and, and you're shaken, and you're worried. And you find Jesus, and you say, Jesus, wake up. We're going to die. And Jesus kind of wakes up out of his nap, you know, with that little bit of a stupor. And he looks at him and he goes, gosh, stop being a baby. And he gets up on the boat and he looks out to the storm and raging waves and wind. And what does he say? Wind, be quiet. But in that moment, your light begins to grow. Because this man can control nature. And you're thinking, this is it. This is him. And then a few nights later, you're in the upper room. And you're eating dinner, and Jesus, he begins to say some really strange things, things that, to be honest, bother you. He begins to talk about how he has to go away and, and how he's going to die, and you're thinking, you're not going to die. You're the Messiah. The Messiah doesn't die. The Messiah takes over Jesus. I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but, but like our crowds are growing. The followers are growing. People are even beginning to recognize me because I'm one of your followers. I've been wanting this my whole life. You're not going to die. You're going to take over. Rome's going to be like wiped off the map because the Messiah has finally come. And then they stuck around. You know the story. And they watched Jesus be falsely arrested and falsely accused and then nailed to a cross. And as you watched your Savior, your Messiah die, your light goes darker than it's ever been. To be honest, it goes completely out, doesn't it? Because the very thing you've been waiting for, the thing that, that when he's with you, it feels so amazing. But every time he leaves, you're so afraid. And the very people who set out to, to arrest and kill Jesus, now they're after you. And you're thinking, not only is his time up, my time's up. And you're scared. And it's dark. And it's darker, if you're honest, than it's ever been. And then the third day comes. And, and some, some ladies, you know, they go out to find Jesus in, in the tomb to take care of his body. And they come back with, with this exciting news, which you think they're just, you know, 
They woke up in, in, in some kind of like high kind of drunken state because they come back and they say, guys, you wouldn't believe this. The stone thrown away. Jesus isn't there. We think he's alive. We think we've even talked to him. <laughs> and your light's not on. You're thinking, you're nuts. Jesus is dead. I saw it. But two of your friends, two of the other disciples, they're bold. They're so bold, they, they like run out of the house. John gets there first, then Peter shortly after. But Peter's so bold, he walks right into the tomb. And the tomb's empty. But your light's still out because Jesus isn't there. That night, you're sitting at the dinner table. And who shows up but Jesus? And what's the first thing Jesus says when he shows up? Don't be afraid. And your light shines maybe brighter than it's ever been in your life because he's back. And, and not just like, like back, like he's back to life. He's back from, from the dead. I saw him die and he's back. This is it. He's the Messiah. And it's not like he's back like in a ghost form. He's back like I can touch him. I can put the, my finger in the holes in his wrist and I can, I can put my hand where the sword pierced him in the side. My, my bright is, light is brighter than it's ever been because Jesus, you're back. But in that moment, all the things Jesus said throughout those three and a half years begin to catch up. You remember that night at, at, at the dinner table in the upper room where Jesus talked about going away. And you're thinking, well, maybe when he talked about going away, he was just talking about this, right? This kind of like three-day three little death moment where he went away and then he's back. And sure, he's back for good, right? He's going to strip off his robes and the emblazoned M's going to be on his chest with the cape. And here it is, the super Messiah. He's going to take over and make everything right. But you can't get that thing out of your head where Jesus said, I I'm going to go away. You're thinking, surely that's not what he meant. This can't make any sense. And then you find yourself a few days later, Jesus gathers all his disciples on the mountainside. And he begins to ascend into heaven. But before he does this, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the light I've given you, and I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples of all nations. You're thinking, but Jesus, you're about to leave. And then he says the strangest thing. He says, but I will be with you always. And now you're thinking he's lost his mind like Jesus. You're leaving. I'm watching you leave. How are you going to be with me always? You can't be with me and be with him and him and her and him and her. Like, that's impossible, Jesus. And you sit there and you watch as your greatest hope in the world slowly leaves and your light dwindles and it dwindles. And you're stuck there looking up in the heavens as Jesus begins to fade out of sight and then that heavenly voice kind of speaks into your heart once again. It says, yo, what are you looking at? Go get busy. Go do what I told you to do. And you're like, oh, yeah, oh, okay. So with your, your dim light or your, maybe your no-lit light, you head back with your disciple friends. You're really not sure what, what you're going to do. So for days, you just kind of meet in everyone's house, and, and you spend a lot of time just talking about, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What are we going to do? He told us to do this, but we don't know how to do this. And when he was here, it was easy. When he was here, we had hope. When he was here, we had life. When he was here, we had light. But the light is left. And one day, they're gathering in someone's house in the upper room again, and they're praying. And something absolutely fantastic happens. As a matter of fact, Luke records it. He says, he says they're in their house and they're praying. And, and, and it's this moment, if you can imagine what they're feeling emotionally. They're feeling deserted. They're feeling abandoned. They're feeling like they had the greatest thing in the world. And then God took it away. And then something fantastic happened. Luke tells us this. Luke says that they were in the upper room and they were praying. And something amazing happens. Something fantastic 
something that would change the world forever. You see, when Jesus was around, you were always assured, weren't you? When Jesus was around, you were always assured because Jesus was beside you. But you're afraid when he is always away from you. And Jesus knew that. So Jesus told his disciples, I have to go, but I'm going to send something better. And you're thinking, what could be better than you? What could be better than this? When you're with me, I feel like I can change the world. But when you're away from me, I am completely and utterly afraid. Jesus tells us this in John. He says, it is for your good that I'm going away. It's for your good that I'm going to go away. And you're thinking, what good can come of that? What good would come if you leave me? When you're with me, the light is bright. When you're with me, I feel like I can change the world. When you go away, I'm utterly afraid. And you're sitting there with your disciple friends, and you're not really sure what to do. Then you remember the words of Jesus. When Jesus said words like this, don't let your hearts be troubled. And in that moment, you're thinking, my heart isn't troubled because you're here. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Of course I believe in God. Good, then also believe in me. And in that moment, you're thinking, well, that kind of depends. Are you the Messiah or you're not the Messiah? I guess we'll wait and see. Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Going there, why do you have to leave? Why can't you just stay here? And then Jesus says, and if I go there and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I will take you with me, that you may also be where I am. And you're thinking, yes, that's exactly what I want. I want to be where you are, because when where you are, there's hope. Where you are, there's life. Where you are, there's peace. Where you are, there's healing. Where you are, there's joy. I want to be where you are. And then Jesus says something that completely confused them. He says, you know. You know the way to the place where I'm going. <laughs> and you're thinking, did he just say I don't I don't know where he's going. How do I know the, the way to where he's going? And you kind of lean over to your friend Thomas. You know, you've heard of the, the disciple doubting Thomas. You say, Thomas, did he really say, I don't, would you ask? Because I don't know, I don't think we know where we're going. So Thomas speaks up. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And, and, and in Jesus' typical fashion, what does he do? He kind of avoids it. He keeps on teaching. He doesn't even answer Thomas's question, but he comes back around to this idea in a few paragraphs. He says this, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And then you're thinking, that's amazing because I've seen Jesus do some amazing things. You mean I can do that stuff, Jesus? And he says, not only those things, they'll do even greater things than these. And you're thinking, that's impossible because I'm going to the Father. And now you're like, if you leave, how do we do this? Because we've only ever been able to do anything like this because you were here. It's not adding up, Jesus. It doesn't make any sense. When you leave, we're scared and afraid and nothing good happens. And Jesus says, but because I'm going, you'll be able to do what I've done. Because I'm going, you'll do even greater things than I have done. And then he says this, that completely dumbfounded them. Peace, peace I leave with you. Oh, sorry, I skipped. <clears throat> he says this, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And you're like, another advocate? I don't want another advocate. Jesus, I just want you. Don't leave. But this advocate, the Holy Spirit, which, to be honest, is way better than the Holy Ghost, right? It makes us feel much more at ease. 
But the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. And then he says the interesting thing. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And they're confused because they're thinking, but Jesus, how can you give us the peace when you're the peace and, and you're leaving? And I don't give it to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. And that raises some questions for you. Jesus, how can you leave us peace when you are the peace? How do we experience that when you're not here? Again, Jesus is already off teaching. Doesn't even answer your question. Later, he comes back to this whole idea again. He says this, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And again, you're left wondering, Jesus, what could be better than you beside me? What could be better than you here? What could be better than Jesus at your side? And Jesus refers to this advocate, and then you begin to wonder even further, who can be better than Jesus at your side? Jesus actually taught us, and Jesus actually believed that the Holy Ghost, that the Holy Spirit was better than him. That, that him going away and sending the Spirit was better for you than him staying beside you. And, and as much as, as that might make us a little bit uncomfortable, as much as that might be an idea that we're not too familiar with or we want to admit because we love the idea of Jesus being here. Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away because if I go away, this, this thing, this advocate that's going to come, he's going to do more for you than I could do if I were still here beside you. But, but why? Because Jesus was beside you. And although we don't know much about the Holy Spirit, here, here's one thing we do know. We know the Holy Spirit is in you. And I know that raises some really weird questions and, and, and some, so it raises some eyebrows. It makes you a little bit uncomfortable. But, but this, is, this is one thing we know. This Holy Spirit is a person. It's not an it. And although we refer to it as an it, it's not. It's, it's a person. And this Holy Spirit, it relates to you in person. It, it understands what you're going through, and it fights for you. That's why Jesus calls it an advocate and a helper and a counselor. He's there to minister to you personally. And the Holy Spirit indwells in you when you begin to believe in Jesus, when you confess him as your Lord, when you identify with his death and his resurrection, when you believe that he has come for you, the Holy Spirit comes in. It's not intrusive. He doesn't take over and run your life. He doesn't manipulate you. He's there to counsel you. He's there to help you. He's there to teach you the things that Jesus taught you and to bring those things to your memory. And Jesus said, this is why it's so much greater that I go away because I can be beside you, but the Spirit can be in you and in you and in you and in you. You're thinking, but Jesus, it, it, how is that possible? It's one of those things that makes it mysterious. But it's one of those things that also makes it so fantastic and so awesome. You go back to, to this idea of, of you being a disciple and having a lantern. You watched Jesus leave, and your light went out. Your light was low. And then you watched him ascend, and it was, it was lower than it's ever been. And then he sends the Spirit that day when you're in that room praying. And for the first time in your life, 
your light begins to grow without Jesus being beside you. For the first time in your life, your light shines so bright. I mean, you're like, you're like the Grinch, right? Whose heart just exploded three times. Your light just exploded like 10 times. But Jesus wasn't beside you anymore. You see, something changed. And it was that the spirit that he promised, the advocate that he promised, is now in you and not just beside you. And what's amazing about the Holy Spirit being in you and not beside you is that there's never those moments where you can feel like, like you're alone, where, where you feel like you're abandoned when, when they did when they were with Jesus as a disciple. Well, he's not with me and my light goes down and then he comes back and my light goes up. No, the Spirit is with you and it is with you always. And your light can shine bright. And your light can change the world. And Jesus said, that's how I'm going to do it. That's how we're going to change the world. That's how you're going to make disciples of all nations. That's why it's better that I go away for him to come. That moment in Acts 2, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they witnessed something that changed the world forever because the Holy Spirit living inside of them was better than the Jesus beside them. And here's what's amazing. Is that when we believe, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're here and you're a Jesus follower, you're watching online and you're a Jesus follower, we have that same spirit. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. I mean, think about that. A body dead and decaying. The spirit had so much power, it raised him back to life. That same spirit lives in us. The spirit, remember Jesus promised peace? He said, my peace, I leave you. My peace, I will be with you. He said, that's a mark of, of, of somebody who's following Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will give you peace. Peace that, that surpasses all understanding. Peace that used to depend on whether or not I was beside you or not beside you. He said, it's with you always because the Spirit is in you. And then along comes the Apostle Paul, you know, the guy who didn't believe in Jesus and then met Jesus and then gave his life to serving Jesus. He comes along and he says, yeah, but I think, I think there's something more than peace that the Spirit offers. He calls it the fruits of the Spirit. And he says this, he says, I think that the Spirit is going to do even more than just peace. It's going to give you love and joy and peace and forbearance, which is patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, all the things that we want in our life. He said, they're available to you because of the Holy Spirit living in you. And it's no longer contingent on whether or not I'm with you or I'm not with you. If I'm beside you or I'm not beside you. This is for you always because the Spirit is in you always. And it is the power to change your life, Jesus would say. Just like it changed mine. Just like it raised me back to life. It wants to do the same for you because this is what the Spirit does. It resurrects. It brings life. It wants to give you life. It wants to resurrect your life. It wants to resurrect your dreams. It wants to resurrect your hopes. It wants to resurrect your, your broken relationships. It wants to resurrect anything in your life that feels like it's dead and decaying. Your prodigal son, your prodigal daughter. It wants to resurrect them and bring them back to life. What's amazing to me, though, is that so many Christians walk around like we don't have it. Right? We walk around not like our light is shining bright and we're filled with the Spirit and we have all of these incredible things. We walk around like, like Jesus left the building and our light is barely visible. And this isn't an accusation. The truth is, and I told you this at the beginning, that how close this would hit home. Just the other week, I went away on a, 
a little retreat, a little strategy session with Chris and Brian, some of the pastors here. And we're off and we're praying and we're talking and we're strategizing. And, and it just seems like everything we say seems to hit a wall. Have you ever felt like that? Like everything you did, it just, you, you couldn't get anything moving and you got depressed. I mean, I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I'm sure you felt that way. I felt that way. And every time we talked, it was like, I just don't know. I'm not feeling it. I'm down. I'm discouraged. Why? And then somebody had the boldness to ask the question. Why aren't we living like this? It's because I, I wasn't focusing on what I had. I was focusing on all the things I didn't have. But what did Jesus give me? He said, I'm going away and I'm going to send you something that's even better than me beside you. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will give you love and it will give you joy. It'll give you peace. It'll give you patience and kindness. It'll give you faithfulness. It'll give you self-control. And in that moment when that question asked, it was, I imagine it was just like what the disciples felt. It wasn't even like the problem was solved. It was just like, oh, yeah. That's not me. And my light began to grow. And in a minute, I began to realize, wait a second, I'm focused so much on the things that I don't have or the things that I can't do or how bad the world is around me. What I'm forgetting is the very thing that Jesus said, when I give it to you, it has the power to change your life forever. The Holy Spirit. And my light grew. And my light grew. And I've been more excited the past few weeks than I've been maybe in years of doing ministry because I began to understand what I already had. I just wasn't taking any, any pleasure in it. I wasn't focusing on it. I wasn't being in it. And I wonder for you, how many of you feel that way? How easy is it for us to get so down and so discouraged, for our light to dwindle, Every time something bad comes our way, and we just think, Jesus, where are you? Jesus, where are you? And Jesus said, I was beside you, but I did something better than that. I sent somebody to be with you forever who never leaves you, who never forsakes you, and he's in you, and he gives you all the things you've always wanted. Christian, Christ follower, but you can spend all of your life focusing on the things you can't do or the things you don't have. Or in a moment like now, you can remember what you do have. The Holy Spirit from Jesus, who came, as Jesus said, to do more for you than he was going to do beside you. That he would fill you with love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The Holy Spirit beside you, that he would say, had so much power, it brought my body back to life, now lives in you. I mean, that kind of power is just unfathomable, isn't it? And it's in you, and it's in you, and it's in you, and it's in everybody who says, Jesus, you're my Savior. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God, and you came, and you died, and you rose again. If you're a Christ follower, you have that. If you're not a Christ follower, my question is, don't you want that? Don't you want the peace you've been fighting for, the joy that you feel like has been robbed from you because of the pandemic? That's available to you today. If you would follow Jesus, your heart would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I would say your life would never look the same.
I'm going to ask Chris to come up. He's going to play some songs for us. This is where we're going to pick up next week. We're actually going to look at, at what happens in the Old Testament because the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit, this isn't a New Testament thing. It's been around since the beginning of time and has done some amazing things. But my prayer for you for these next few weeks is that this would be the start of you beginning to see your life kind of rekindle, rebuild, kind of relit again, that your lantern would burn brighter than it's ever been. And for those of you who feel like light's completely gone out, to not lose hope and to realize through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, there is always hope. There is love, there is joy, there is peace and patience, gentleness, goodness, self-control, kindness. And it's available to you today. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, for your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I thank you that you were willing to send the advocate for us. <clears throat> God, that, it, that there are so many times in our lives where we can feel down and we can feel like abandoned and forgotten. But God, nothing could be further from the truth. We are never abandoned. We have never been forgotten. We just haven't realized the thing that you've given us is the answer to what we're looking for. God, I pray for each person here, wherever we find ourselves, God, maybe like we've given up on life, maybe like we're down, maybe, maybe God, like we, we are abandoned. I pray that in this moment, they would realize that not only are we not, but that we have never been, that the spirit is in us, God, that, that it is around us, that it, it fills us with everything we need. And for those of us who, who, who God, have never had that moment to, to confess Jesus as Savior, God, God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to experience that hope and that joy and that peace. God, that even in the moments now and to come, God, they would begin to turn their eyes to you. And they would say, that's what I want. All these other things that I've spent my life fighting, God, that's really what I want. God, would you give us the courage to take that step? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.